Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Good morning. Are there any dry eyes in the house today? That, that gets me every time, watching those little kids. My goodness. So thank you all for your crazy generosity and for uh, just capturing that vision. And I, and I do. I, I believe what the Lord said. He said, in the, in the last day when we stand before him, any cup of cold water, anything you've done for the least of these, you did it to him. And we're going to be surprised not just the impact that little gestures of goodwill have in people's lives, but how much it's blessed the heart of our Father. And, uh, and it's going to be something special to, to see. Um, welcome to those of you that are new. I'm Pastor Joey. We're kind of finishing off uh, the year with just a two-part uh, series. We're in week two, uh, ca- talking about finishing well. And uh, we are rounding off this year. How many of you guys are glad to be exiting 2022? And getting ready to welcome 2023, right? It's always, always kind of a, an, an awesome privilege to see what the new year is going to have. And so we don't, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, though. We want to make sure that we are finishing well. Uh, last week we talked about that, that so, you know, many people will say it's not as important how you start, it's how you finish. But Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly, that we would be overcomers in Christ Jesus. And I just believe that he's not just interested in how we finish, he's also interested in how we start and everything that happens in between. And so today we're, we're talking about not just finishing well, but we're talking about uh, the enduring value of enduring. The enduring value of enduring. Now one of my favorite movies uh, probably of all time, and it's not a Christmas movie, contrary to public belief, I, even though I, I love the Christmas season. You know, you got to show you this. Believe it or not, there are matching pants. But to keep some from stumbling, I chose not to wear that today. One of my favorite movies is the Rocky movies, uh, Rocky Two is kind of the sequel to Rocky 1. At the end of Rocky 1, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, he loses the fight. But it was so close that many thought he actually won the fight, though he lost the decision. So in Rocky 2 comes around, and there's this big hype that they want the champ to rematch Rocky to face off again and to, and to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt who is the champion. And so the champ, with his big ego, decides to take on the challenge. And half the movie, it's him trying to convince Rocky to fight one more time. And finally, Rocky decides to go ahead with it. And he, he trains and trains and trains. And they get to the, the final match, and they're just pummeling each other. They are beating each other to a bloody pulp. And Rocky and his trainer decide to do some type of uh, just plan of attack that they're going to wear the champ down. So that in the last moments, as he's gotten all of his energy out, he doesn't have any strength left, then they're going to turn the tides, and he's going to fight back, and he's going to have a chance to win 
the war. And so this is what you see. You see Rocky just taking blow after blow, smack after smack, being knocked down and getting back up. And he's trying to hold on until that moment Mick says, okay, now, now's the time. And he switches his stance. He goes after Apollo and he begins to bring him toe-to-toe, and finally, the, the last few seconds of the match, they both swing as hard as they can, and they knock each other off their weak and nimble feet, and they're on the mat, exhausted, worn, beaten, but then they start to try to get back up, and the champ gets to his knees, but then he stumbles and falls back down again, and Rocky grabs the ropes and is able in the last seconds to pull himself up off the mat to win the war and become the next champion of the Boxing Association. And in that moment, you can't help but to cheer and to celebrate with him, even though you know it's fake. It's made up, right? There's, there, there's something about underdog stories. You could, you could look at any underdog story, and when the underdog has a chance to rise up and win, something makes you want to rejoice. And it's because there is an endearing value of enduring. There is an endearing value of enduring, especially as it pertains to this Christian life that we're trying to live each and every day. There's an endearing value of enduring. A a quick definition of endurance by a quick Google search will tell you that endurance is the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. That's endurance. The, The word endurance can also be translated in the scriptures as steadfastness. That's a good King James word from 1611. If you want to sound really religious and smart, you bring out the the old English, you can use steadfastness. And that word really means the quality of being resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. It's endurance. Other translators will simply say it is the virtue that is shown by martyrs. Holding on even to the bitter end without giving up or letting go. Staying resolutely true. This is a value of our Christian faith. This is a value that God desires for every believer in the Christian life. And this is brought out powerfully in Luke chapter 9 as Jesus is talking to some would-be disciples, many If you know the story, as he's doing miracles and performing signs and wonders, many would follow Jesus, and they would come to him and be like, Lord, I want to follow you, or I want to be my disciple. And this is exactly what we see here in this passage of Scripture. In 9, verse 57, it says, As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I will follow you. And Jesus responds. He says, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he said to another person, you come, follow me. And the man agreed, but then he said, Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to live in this nation that has been blessed by you in so many incredible ways. God, we are 
We are blessed to be a blessing to people across the oceans that we may never have a chance to meet in person, God. But I just ask you that your grace would continue to fall on that orphanage and all of our friends overseas. God, even now in Kenya that's still suffering from this terrible famine and drought, God, we ask you to send the rain in the name of Jesus. God, for those who are in war-torn Ukraine, we ask you, God, to guard your church and raise them up as light bearers in these difficult areas. And, And God, anywhere the gospel is preached, we ask, God, that you would shine brightly even in the midst of dire and dark circumstances. God, as we look at finishing well, I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to believe everything that you have for us today. May all that is said be from your heart and from, God, your word. May it fall on good soil this morning. And all God's people said, amen. So if you think about what Jesus, he's having this conversation with these three individuals. If you think about what he just said, he said, in other words, to be my follower, as exciting as that sounds and as glamorous as that sounds, and some of us, we, we have that in our mind, right? We look at all the famous preachers and teachers and musicians and Christian leaders on television or online, and we think, man, that looks glamorous. I mean, if I had a, a, a top song on the Christian radio, if I had a best-selling novel or best-selling book, or if I had thousands and millions of followers on my, my, my social media feed every month or every week following the teaching and things that I was doing, man, that would be amazing. Many of us don't realize the sacrifices that have to be made in order to get to those places of success. We have it in our mind that this is a glamorous thing to be a follower of Christ. But here Jesus said, you want to be my follower? Okay, you're going to have to go through some stuff. You're going to have to get uncomfortable. You're going to have to make some sacrifices. At times, life's not going to be easy. So before you decide to go all in, take an account of where you are. Because if you start the work and don't finish, you're not worthy. Those who put their hand to the plow but then take their hand back off of it are not fit to be my disciple. There is an endearing value of enduring because it is the value, endurance is the value that will help you keep walking in obedience and accomplishing God's will when everything in your life is falling apart and nothing in you feels like doing it. And there will be times where you're going to have to endure. That's the issue. You're going to have to endure to be a follower of Jesus. James chapter 1, verse 3, this is Jesus' little brother writing to the church. In James chapter 1, he says, For you know that when your faith is what? When your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Right? The, the message today, I'm just going to give you a little sneak peek. Right, that We're going we're gonna to go into the spiritual weight room today. We're in the spiritual fitness center today. Because I have three sets of three points. You know, you go into the weight room, you, you set up your, your weight routine, you, you got your sets. We have three sets of three points. For all you math people in there, that's nine points, okay? Right, but there are three sets of three, so hopefully it feels like three. If it doesn't, I apologize in advance, but if I get done before someone falls out of a window and dies like Paul did in the book of Acts, I think we're doing okay. So three sets of three points. 
But here he says, your endurance needs a chance to grow. So your faith is going to be tested, right? You don't get the endurance you need right out the gate. Just like an exercise routine or becoming a long-distance runner, you need to train yourself and you need to be trained in order to handle greater and greater stresses, right? If you start out running a mile and you bust out an eight-minute mile, that's about average. That's pretty good, an eight-minute mile. Why is the first mile eight minutes, but if you decide to go a second, you go 20 minutes? Doesn't add up, right? Eight and eight, 16. Why, why does it take me longer to run two? It's because you're not conditioned to the stress in your body, in your lungs, and in your circulatory system that you need to maintain the pace. So you have to train. My, uh, my wife's cousin decided to run a 100-mile marathon for the first time in his life. And I, and I get it, like set goals, work, work towards things, man, that's awesome. If you can do that, more power to you, right? But in his mind, he thought, I'm physically fit, I've been active, I, I, I like working out, I, I can do this. This is something I can do. And so he trained, he would run like maybe 15, 20 miles here or there. But then he gets to the actual race and he's talking to other racers who normally run 100-mile races. And they asked him, how, how did you train? He was like, well, I, I think the most I ran was like 20 miles. And they're like, that's it? That's, that's the most? You didn't go for 50 or 60 at a time? No, they're, they're training long distance. And he's like, no, I didn't. And they're like, well, good luck, brother. Because there's going to come a point where not only are you going to hate yourself, you're going to hate life, you're going to hate everything, you're going to be mad at the world, you're going to want to die. And he said, you know, as, as I went down, there was a point. You hit a wall, and you, you hate everything. You forget why you're running. You forget everything. Your body's shutting down. Your body hurts everywhere. You're exhausted, and everything is shutting down. Now, he did make it, but he also said he'd never do it again. So I think he learned a lesson. But endurance has to grow. It's the same that's true in your faith journey. As the phrase goes, God will never give you more than you can handle. That is a lie. It's made up by people that don't know the word of God and have never lived life. God often gives you more than you can handle. He often gives you more than you can handle. Why? So that you know you need him in your life. He brings testing. He tries your faith. So your endurance can grow. And we're all tested all of the time. So the first set we're going to do, here are the first three points I'm going to give to you. There are actually three tests and three questions that are answered when we are tested, when our faith is tested, to give our endurance chance, a chance to grow. There are three things that, that come, three tests that come, really, and three questions that are answered in those tests. And I'm going to give you the first one here. The first test is a test of character. Somebody say character. The first test, when God puts your faith through the test, the first test is character. It asks the question, what kind of person are you? What are you made of? In Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19, this is... 
kind of a, a recap of the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. We know the story. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, ends up becoming the number two in all of command in the nation of Egypt. God uses him to save the people. But here's what the psalmist writes as he's describing to Israel their history. He says in verse 17, says, Then he, he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed a neck in an iron collar. Now, remember, he had dreams of being in leadership, dreams of being raised to power when he was a young man, but his life takes a completely different turn. His, his brothers sell him into slavery, and he's wrecking everything that he felt like God had spoken over his life. So he's now suffering. He's being enslaved. Verse 19, this happened until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord did what? The Lord tested his character. The Lord tested his character. So God gives him a dream and a vision for his life when he's a young man. But before he was qualified to walk into the fulfillment of those promises, his character had to be tested. When God gives you a dream or a vision or promise and your life falls apart, that's not God's unfaithfulness. That's God's test. He's testing to see what kind of person you are. You see, if, if God gave Joseph that dream, and you can go back and read this in the text, Joseph was kind of like a little snotty-nosed brat. He was the favorite, and he knew it, and he liked to rub that in his brother's face. So when he got that dream, not only did he love broadcasting that to his brothers, hey, I know y'all are older than me, bigger than me, you've been around longer, but guess what? You're going to bow down before me. He even went to his parents. And said, God gave me a dream about you too. One day, you're going to bow down at my feet. Now, how many of you parents, if you had a kid come to you and say, one day, you're going to bow down to me? You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, you're right. Someone's bowing, and today it's you. Right? You just, it's just like you, you have to think about the situation and what that would be like. But here Joseph is bragging about God not only has him as the favorite in the family, now God has him as the favorite in the nation. He's going he's gonna to be ruler over everyone. His character was not in a place to receive the blessing. If he had received the blessing at that point, he would have ruined the blessing. He would have squandered it. He didn't have the characters to sustain it. In Proverbs 27, verse 21, it says, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. Fire tests silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. Why are we tested by being praised? To see how much pride rules in our heart. What happens when you're getting the glory? I heard a... a pastor and a, a leader one time say, don't take responsibility for the failures in your ministry because you'll also take responsibility for the successes. It's not about you. But when we're praised, we really have an option. We have an option to eat it up or send it up. What are we going to do? Are we going to let our heads continue to grow? Are we going to continue to think, oh, man, we are great. We do have the best ministry. I am a great author. I am a great writer. I am the best this or the best that. Or are we going to say, only because of God's grace that we're anything? You see, it's often immaturity that needs to be dismantled 
and our own self-reliance that needs to be dismantled before God's ready to elevate us into our purpose and fulfill the dreams and promises he's spoken. And, you know, many of us I know where sometimes even, maybe even today, you're struggling to even crawl out of bed, to crawl in your spiritual life, let alone walk or even run a mile. When difficulties come, those struggles happen, we have a tendency just to drop out of the race and quit altogether. Now, Jesus tells a famous parable. It's the parable of seed. There's multiple seeds that are thrown down on different types of soil, and one of those types of soil was those that had thorns, and the seed that was sown among thorns represented a person whose faith gets choked out with the cares of life and the allure of wealth. That you have financial insecurity or you have struggles in your life and that, that seed's choked out because you allow, those things overwhelm you to the point that they become your focus in your life. And so, you know, you have false hope in the stock market or you, you know, have false hope in other people and in pleasing people. And so you begin to pursue those things rather than the kingdom of God. In the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas were hitting the ground running as the Holy Spirit has set them out to be apostles and now they're going and they're evangelizing and really the work that these two men did are really the reason why we're standing in this room today. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. They're about to take another missionary journey and they start deciding who's going to go with them. And they have a difference of opinion on who's going to go and who's not. In Acts chapter 15, 36 through 38, this is after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed, but he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had what? Had deserted them and Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Why did Paul not want to take John Mark with them? It's because John quit. The cares of life overcame his calling and his purpose. He dropped out. And so Paul, as the leader, couldn't rely on him because he couldn't count on him to be where he needed him to be when he needed him to be there. He left Paul and Barnabas high and dry. He didn't endure. In John 10.10, Jesus said, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy and do you know that he is trying to rob you of the blessings God wants to pour out in your life? And he's wanting to rob others of the blessing he wants to pour out in their lives through you. And how does he do it? How does he rob the blessing? He does it by getting you to quit. By getting you to shrink back. To hold back. To give up. To stop following God and stop doing what God's called you to do in your life. And if he can get you out of the race, he can keep you from crossing the finish line. This reminds me of another movie from years ago. Uh, it was a movie called Forrest Gump. And uh, Forrest had just gone through some difficult things. And he was contemplating his life on his uh, doorstep. And if you know anything about the movie or, or about Forrest Gump, he wasn't a real smart man. So I don't know how deep his thinking was, but all of a sudden, one day, he decides to go for a jog and go for a run. And I just want you to watch this clip for just a second. More than two years now, a man named Forrest Gump, a gardener from Greenville, Alabama, stopped 
state only to sleep has been spreading across America. Why are you running? Are you doing this for world peace? Are you doing this for the homeless? Are you running for women's rights? Or for the environment? Or for animals? They just couldn't believe that somebody would do all that running for no particular reason. Why are you doing this? I just felt like running. I just felt like running. I can't believe it's really you. No. For some reason, when I was doing, it seemed to make sense to people. I mean, it was like an alarm went off in my head, you know? I said, here's a guy that's got his act together. Here's somebody who's got it all figured out. Here's somebody who has the answer. I'll follow you anywhere, Mr. Gump. So, I got company. And after that, I got more company. And then, even more people joined in. Somebody later told me it gave people hope. Nah. Nah, I don't know anything about that, but... Anyway, like I was saying, I had a lot of company. My mom always said, you got to put the past behind you before you can move on. And I think that's what my running was all about. I had run for three years, two months, 14 days and 16 hours. Quiet, quiet, he's gonna say something. I'm pretty tired. Think I'll go home now. Now what are we supposed to do? And just like that, my running days was over. Now, Forrest didn't run for any other reason than he just felt like it. But the more he ran, the more people noticed, and the more that began to be inspired by his life and began to model their life after his, began following his efforts, and it was impacting people in a profound and a significant way. But when he stops running, when he decides to stop running, why does he do it? He does it because he's tired. He's just tired. And did you catch what the guy in the, in the audience said when, when he decided to quit? He said, now what are we going to do? Forrest stops running because he forgot what he was running for. So when fatigue set in and he didn't have the motivation to keep going, he quit going. And so not only did he stop running, he let down everyone that was following him and that was inspired by his life. You see, quitting doesn't just keep you from the finish line. And quitting doesn't just affect you. It affects those who follow you and those who God intended for you to impact. Many of us think, oh, it just doesn't matter. I could just, man, I just need a break. I just, I need to quit. It doesn't just affect you. Decisions have consequences. It has a ripple effect. 
I heard a pastor once say, God's prepared you for a prepared people. The moment you said yes to the Lord, you became an ambassador in his secret service. You became a missionary on a mission field. God has a people in mind for you to minister to and to connect with. If you're his child, if you follow Jesus, you're a disciple, then there is ministry he's planned for you before the foundation of the world. If you are not running your race, then those people who are meant to be encountered through you by God won't be encountered. And more importantly, if you start to run, but then you quit, not only are you not going to reap the blessing God had intended for you, that the blessing they would receive through you is also not going to be received. This is why Jesus said those who put their hand to the plow and then turn back are not worthy because someone who starts and quits often creates more negativity, more negative ripples than a person who doesn't start to begin with. The first test is a test of character. What are you made of? Number two, the test is a test of genuine faith. And the question that comes here is, what are you really trusting in? Not only who are you really, but what are you really trusting in? In 1 Peter 1, 7, Peter says, these trials show that your faith is genuine. Somebody say genuine. That your faith is genuine. How many of you know you can have a disingenuous faith? So what makes your faith known to be genuine? It's the trials your faith go through. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. When they try gold in fire, they heat it to such a degree that all the impurities rise to the top. And then they just scoop it off and dump it out. That's how you purify gold. And so without the trials of our faith, we can't tell whether or not our faith is pure. We need the trials in our life to help purify, to help reveal what we're really made of and what we're really trusting in. And I believe if we truly believe the word of God is true, that God is faithful, these aren't just things we say and proclaim and sing about, but we really believe them, that his promises will be fulfilled in his timing, then we're not going to quit, we're not going to shrink back, we're not going to stop running our race, we're going to keep going because we're not depending on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own understanding, but in all of our ways we're acknowledging him depending on his strength, his everlasting arms through every leg of the journey. And when we do, with that kind of faith that is so precious to God, that enduring faith, what did Peter just say? He says, when you see Jesus face to face, he's going to make a spectacle out of you. Wow. Like we spend all this time praising him, but there's coming a day when the master is coming with reward in his hands. And enduring faith is the, the, the key to experiencing that reward. Test number three, it produces hope. And the question is, is what is your anchor? What are you made of? Who are you trusting in? And what is your anchor? Again, in the parable of the seed, Jesus reveals the truth about the good seed on, that's sowed on the good soil. In Luke 8, 15, it says, these seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word and cling to it. Somebody say, cling to it who cling to it, and then what? Patiently produce a harvest. How do you patiently produce anything? You endure. 
you endure. You cling to the word. That becomes your reality. That becomes your truth. Nothing else that you encounter, hear, see, or what's sold to you is as impactful in your life as the truth of the word of God. And those who cling to it, they will patiently produce. Why? Because they know everything God said will come to pass. Good seed on good soil is represented by those who hold fast in genuine faith. And they remain faithful. Romans 5, 2 through 4, Paul says, because, our faith, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. These trials, they're not just struggles or dark times or, or bad seasons. They're a process to help us get us from where we are to where God is leading us to be, to help us become who God's created us to be. They, they produce endurance, with strengthen, strengthens our character. And the ultimate result is hope. And the question is, why is hope the result? It's because when we hold on, we don't shrink back, we endure, we will see the fulfillment of God's promises. His eternal faithfulness, it will be confirmed time and time again if we hold on and don't give up. When we see mountains move, we can't help but rejoice in the Lord. You know, we spend all this time struggling, praying, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? And, and we have that tendency, well, man, if God, you're not going to answer my prayer, I'm going to go find my own way. But if we hold fast, we cling to the truth, we remain faithful, we will see the mountains move just like the nation of Israel saw the waters part. And you can't tell me that as they're walking on dry ground, in the midst of the sea, with walls of water on either side, the fiery flames behind protecting them, and the promised land ahead of them, they weren't rejoicing in the Lord. This hope will continue to lead us through this life. The more hope we have, the more unmovable, unwavering, steadfast we have, because His Word becomes our truth. I heard uh, somebody... Explain it like this one time. I thought it was brilliant. That there are a lot of facts in the world. There are a lot of facts. Fact A, you've got a sickness. Anybody feeling under the weather this week? Tip my family this week like a ton of bricks. You're feeling sick. What's the word of God say? By his stripes you are healed. Anybody struggling to pay a bill at any time in their life? Not feeling so rich? What's the Bible say? You're rich in Christ Jesus. There's a difference between facts and truth. When the word of God, his truth, becomes our reality, then the facts that the enemy tries to send to us to get us discouraged will no longer come to bear. The trials produce endurance. It strengthens our character, and the result is hope, and this hope will continue to lead us. Hebrews 6, 17 through 19 says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that we would, he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. How many of you take comfort knowing God cannot lie? Whatever he has spoken will come to pass. You can take it to the bank. It's a sure bet. It says, therefore, we who have fled to him 
for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. The hope we have in Jesus is our anchor. It keeps us in place. When the, the storms come and the sea is battering us back and forth, it makes us unmovable, unwavering, and steadfast. But when our hope isn't in Christ, when our anchor is not in Christ, we're going to be battered by the waves, tossed to and fro, tempted to abandon ship. But the storm will pass. And we can see we always can trust in our anchor. He never fails. He never falters. A great example of unwavering endurance, the endearing value of enduring is really Paul's life. And this is our second set. We've made it through our first set. We're going into our second set. If you look back and think of everything Paul's been through, all that he went through to start churches and, and revolutionize the world, turn the world upside down, the enemy gave him every reason to quit. But at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, here's what Paul says. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God, and the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. There are three things that kept Paul running his race. Number one, his focus was on his fight. His focus was on his fight. Like Rocky, he stayed in the fight no matter the odds. It didn't matter what was stacked against him. It didn't matter who he was up against. It didn't matter the challenge ahead. He had a fight to win. He had a mission to accomplish. He had a God to please and a Savior to glorify. And that's all that was in his sights. He stayed focused on his fight, on his mission, on his ministry. Number two, he endured through hardship. What's he say? He says, I have been poured out. My life's been poured out. What's he saying? I have left everything on the field. There's nothing left to give. There, there, there's nothing left. I've held nothing back. I've given it all. I've given my life. I gave up my relationships. I gave up my health. I gave up my, my sense of financial security. I gave up everything for this gospel of Jesus Christ. I've poured it all out. I've held nothing back. He always gave his all. Always. And number three... He says, I finished the race. I got to the end. What's that tell us? It tells us he never quit. Never once. If it were me, I probably would have quit after the first attempt on my life. Being drugged out of the city and stoned to death. He may have even been resurrected at that point. We don't know. That probably would have been enough for me. But Paul didn't give up. He was singularly focused on the fight, on the mission that he had. He was able to do all of this. For our last set. He was able to do all of this to endure. Why? Because of Christ living through him. Paul did not accomplish all of this alone. And neither are you going to accomplish it alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. And there are three ways that Jesus helps you. And is helping you. Even today. Number one. Jesus endured for you. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus endured the cross for you. He conquered sin and death for you. He broke the power of the devil who had the power of death, and now we're not slaves to sin any longer, praise God. We are servants of Christ. We don't have to follow the way of our sinful nature. We can follow the way of the Spirit, which leads to life and glory. He endured for you. Number two, Jesus is enduring with you right now in the present moment. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So Jesus not only endured for you, he's enduring with you. Whatever you're going through, whatever trials and tribulations you're, you're going through, whatever struggles you're having, difficulties in your home, at work, financially, in your health, whatever it is you're going through, he's enduring with you because he promised never to leave you or abandon you, never to forsake you. And I love how this is fleshed out. When he says, I'll never leave you, that means he's not going anywhere. Some of you have been abandoned in your life. You know the sting of that. Jesus said, I ain't going anywhere. Then he says, I'll never forsake you, which means I'll never think badly of you. Who's ever been in a secure relationship like that? Some days I just wake up ugly. I just don't feel like having a good attitude. Sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. Sometimes I gripe and complain when I should be thankful. Jesus never thinks badly of me. He always has my best interest at heart. He's my anchor. He's enduring with me. And Jesus will keep, number three, he will keep enduring with you to help you finish well. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. If God cannot lie, and he is promising to help us finish well, then guess what that means? You're going to finish well. He's going to help you if you stay in it and you don't quit. You keep going. You know, beloved, there are many times I've wanted to quit, turn back, take a seat, try something new. Many times my wife has wanted to quit and give up try something new. Sometimes difficult seasons come, and I know you've been in those same places. Some of you are right there. There's just a lot going on, and you just want to take your hands off and try something else out. But you know what? Something in you, something in me keeps pushing you on. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God in you, rooting for you. You know, some might call it ignorance, but I call it the Holy Spirit. He leads us. He's with us. He's strengthening us. And he's not just leading us through tomorrow. He's leading us somewhere. He's leading you to the very purpose that God created you for, to fulfill the very thing that God has for you. And everything you're going through in your life is not to tear you down or to destroy you. It's to help you endure. It's to help you discover true blessing in him. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, no one looking around, as we go into a time of response, if we could get the response music to play. Disciples endure 
Followers remain steadfast. Believers in Jesus don't quit, no matter how hard it gets. And though that feels impossible sometimes, beloved, you can stay true. You can keep going. You can make it. Why? Because of the one who's in you. The one in you is greater than the one that's in the world. The one that's in you is enough. His grace is sufficient. And he's never giving up on you. Even when you want to give up on yourself, he's not giving up on you. And so as we begin to close out 2022, whether it's on a high or on your darkest and deepest low, beloved, I want to encourage you. You're going to finish well. You're going to make it. You're going to get through it. Because God always finishes what he started. And he's not done with you. He's not leaving you. He's not abandoning you. But he's with you. And maybe you're here today, and as I invite the prayer team to come forward, this invitation is for all of us. Maybe you're here today, and you need a second wind. You're at the end of your rope, and you're tired. You're ready to be done. Beloved, I believe the Holy Spirit of God wants to breathe new life into you today. I believe that he wants to re-energize you. Like we talked last week, when you get that second wind, it's like new confidence, new joy, new hope. And I believe that's what some of you desperately need. The enemy has been eating your lunch. He's been getting your eyes focused on nothing more than your problems and the things that are going wrong around you. And that God wants to help you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He wants to breathe new life in you so that you don't just start strong, that you finish well. And that you start off this next year not at a deficit, but on a high. Because he knows the plans he has for you. They're for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And so for the next few moments as we stay in an attitude of prayer, if, if that's you, if you're if you're the one, if you have that burden on your heart, you're just, I'm tired, I'm struggling, I just don't think I can keep going. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to come forward. No one's going to be singing. The music's just going to play. You come forward and let us pray with you. Prayer team, if that's you, just fall on your face right there to the first row of seats. If you don't want to be prayed with, you just want to come and pray. I just believe God has a blessing. And today, if we act in faith, this is how we activate blessing in our lives. We take a step. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's your first step. To say, God, I can't keep living on my own. I don't have the strength for it. I don't have the wisdom for it. I need a Savior. And Jesus has come that you could be saved. That's what, why he came. This is why we celebrate Christmas and why Easter is around the corner. Because he came to be your Savior. And the Bible says if you accept him as your Lord and Savior, you believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can be changed. You become a child of God right here and right now. The Spirit of God will come live in your heart. If that's you, you come too. But let's not let this opportunity go by. Finish well. Come and receive of the Lord. Come and get a second wind. 
Lord God, I just thank you for your time this morning. I thank you for this word and your encouragement. And I pray, holy God, that we would respond. I pray for those who are weak and struggling and heavy-hearted. God, I pray that they would come. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you begin to blow even now. Blow, Holy Spirit. Blow. Let your fresh wind, let the fresh wind of the Lord begin to blow in this place. In Jesus' name, we ask, God. In Jesus' name. Begin to strengthen tired hands and weak knees, God, that we may finish well. Strengthen us. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.